Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. This is Mike Berg. I'm with uh, Wade Johnston. Hi. How are we doing today? Doing well. It is January 4th, 2021, and we are here on an off day. Aren't we so righteous on an off day? I like coming in. We've been here on a number of off days. Coming in and recording. So that you know what that's can, called a work of super irrigation. Yep, that's right. Like it's regular, regular stuff on a regular work day. That's just irrigation. Yep. And we're going above and beyond. So this is we're following evangelical Uber, councils. Uber irrigation. Yes. Others will get out of purgatory sooner because of our labors. Yes. I don't know about that. Like. There's a lot of baggage. You bag- don't think I've made up for enough? You and I got a lot of baggage to overcome <laughs> as well. So I'm not quite sure that we have a whole lot of extra to give out. That's a fair point. That's right. We are here in the series, the Winging It series, The Life and Thought of Martin Luther, a course that uh, Wade and I share. Graciously, Wade shares with me. It was his to begin with, and um, it's been nice. I, I really appreciate teaching. That's one you know of what my favorite. You know what they say, Michael? Share, caring is caring. Sharing is caring, yeah. And I, that, I care for you, Michael. Um, was that a Luther quote? Fraternal affection. Was that a Luther quote? Probably in the sharing table is, talk, I imagine. Sharing Like a caring. student asked him something. It's one was, of those things that other people pick up. Like, you know, uh, there's three kinds of lies, you know, regular lie, damn lie, and then statistic. Everybody thinks Mark Twain said that, but he gave credit to Benjamin Disraeli, right? Interesting. So... There's like, I think there was, there was some other bearded dude that said, you know, what, what it would sound like he would say something like, um, sharing is caring. And then there's probably like a, maybe it was Diogenes yeah. when he was living in his little yeah. tube thing in or like Athens. stuffed animals like Care Bears that would say that. Anyway, we have, did you ever own a Care Bear? Be honest. I probably did as a, as a little baby. I mean, I can remember them. I don't know if they were uh, my sister's. I have a feeling I had one when I was little, too. I remember an Irish one. I never had a My Little Pony, but I think I may have had a Care Bear. Um, I remember we had an Irish one with, like, a little, you know, like, clover on it. <laughs> so, But I don't remember if that was just the family's or my sister's. Were or, you allowed to, uh, to own Garbage Pail Kids? That was about the same time. Um, I was not allowed to own them. And I remember once I went to a Boy Scout troop meeting and one of my the other Boy Scouts had one. And uh, You lost me at Boy Scouts. The, uh, the Den Mullers got all like, well, I was Catholic. We were allowed <laughs> to be Boy Scouts. Um, I went to Boy Scout camp. Oh, well. Did you ever make it to Eagle Scout? No, I, I did make it to Weeblow. Okay. But we, uh, we caught snapping turtle. Mm. Almost lost some fingers. Yeah, we didn't. Uh, I don't remember. I remember garbage pail kids. I remember having them. I don't remember if I was allowed to or not. Yeah, and I don't remember the rules of Lutheran pioneers. All right. Were so, you a Lutheran pioneer? Uh, I was quartermaster. Did you kind of really wish you could be a Boy Scout? I kind of wish I didn't, couldn't. I I didn't want to be either, but my dad was pastor, so that was only for like a couple years. But I don't think uh, we ever did anything. So I remember I had a shirt. It was a gray shirt. <laughs> You know, like a patch, whatever. Yeah. Um, so today's episode is going to be about... Session. Session is we going to be... We got to call Winging It Sessions. Okay. This Winging It episode is going to be... Oh, Michael. About Luther's catechisms, the large and small catechism. So we've come out of uh, the Diet Aspire. Remember that 
the kind of like a little bit of a breathing room here, but there was also issues of administration. How are we going to deal with congregations that are no longer going to be under the local bishop? Um, what do you do with all the sort of administration stuff when it comes to offerings, choosing a church, choosing a pastor, all that kind of stuff? Uh, the visitations were uh, going out into parishes and seeing how things were going. Um, by most accounts, in most places, it was not good. And so there came this idea that we need to have some, some sort of basic documents that can help pastors and local pastors teach their people, but then also uh, the people in the homes to teach their children. So remember the criticisms after the visitations were not just about the priest. There was also a concern about the laity not really taking this stuff really seriously at all. Pastors. You know what we need a, a session on, Michael? Write it down as the Postilla. We should do one on the Postilla. That'd be a good episode. All right. Um, So in uh, 15.27 is when we have the visitation articles that are written by Luther. There's going to be these visitations. Which uh, Um, is the session right before this one that we did. Yeah. And in 15.25 already, uh, Luther had asked Eustace Jonas and uh, John Agricola to... uh, I like how you... Agricola. I like how you Agricola. said Eustace and Jonas. Then Joan, and then because you I, you kind of did you didn't stick with a J way. No, I didn't. <laughs> you got to pick one and go with it. Eustace, Jonas, and Johann Agricola. <laughs> you know that that uh, it is kind of funny how I would like, like you to call me Wade. Or, no, Wade Janston. <laughs> Janston. Um, it is kind of funny how when you read and and a lot of biographers will. We'll put this in the in the preface. They'll say, "Listen, I'm just going to be. I'm going to go with this spelling or yeah. uh, that." And like Ulrich Zwingli is one of those. Is right. it Ulrich? Is it Ulrich? Right. So um, I'm all mixed up, and I'm not. Karlstadt is it C or is it K? Yeah, I'm not going to pretend to even care about that. So, but anyway, Luther says we need to have a catechism, and he asks some of his fellow workers to do that. It seems that Agricola. Uh, does put together something, but then it seems that Luther is not too enthralled by the product and then takes it upon himself, but not until 1529. Which makes sense, by the way, because as if you listen to the previous session on the visitation, uh, Saxon visitations, um, Luther, Agricola, Melanchthon kind of end up on the outs over the role of the law. And we, I wonder if, if we could... Um, I don't know if we'll have a whole uh, episode on the on the whole uh, issue with Agricola, but I, I imagine good to do. we would have uh, some episode on here are some of the issues that are already underground here that are going to come out after Luther dies um, in a few decades. Um, hey, Mike, what's this? Water with ice in it? Don't do it. I'm going to warn Abigail. I, tr- I had this much ice and I tried to... Make sure it melted. Can you tell, let me know if you can hear me? Absolutely, we can hear you do that. And so you my, heard that? Yeah, my poor daughter is going to have to either leave it in, or oh, this one I, needs to leave in because yeah. it's, it's part of the shtick. One more time, honestly, listen. Let me one know. more. Yes, absolutely, can hear it. Can you hear this? Don't tell them what this one is. That one I couldn't hear. All right. All right, that was coffee. I'm going to stick with the coffee thermos. Okay, thank you. So. But if I get dehydrated, it's it's for the podcast. The point is, is that already in 1525, there is 
an understandable need for this, a desire to have these catechisms. And it's not until 1529 that we do actually get the publication of the small and large catechisms. But Luther is already speaking on this and working, really nice. yeah, speaking <laughs> and working on what we know as catechetical work uh, between the years 1525 and 1529. So in 1527, um, you have the visitation articles that are prepared. In 1528, Luther does teach uh, some uh, catechism instruction. He is preaching sermons on what would become the six chief parts of, of the catechisms. So... Um, Let's, let's, I want to give some more details here. Uh, a lot of you probably already know this, and so maybe you can kind of skip ahead. But for those who maybe are uh, not familiar with the word catechism or Luther's catechism, let's briefly go through what does catechism mean? What did it mean for the medieval church? What does it mean for Luther? What does it mean for Lutherans today? What, uh, what's the encridian? What are the six chief parts? Uh, those kinds of basics of what a catechism is. And then maybe... Uh, Wade, you, you could definitely handle this one. What's the difference between the small and the large catechism? I'll start off with the mean and the kick bigger. it to um, The word catechism uh, comes from the Greek, it being going back and forth, so you can see where the word echo comes from, right? So uh, I, teacher. as a, uh, a teacher, may speak something, you may repeat it back, or I give you a question and then you answer it, that kind of thing. So a catechism. Kesis is teaching a catechism is the actual um, instructional book or booklet. Uh, we're going to talk about probably before the end of this session that uh, a placard, right? Like it, it actually something could be printed out in a big form that could be put on like a bulletin board. Um, and then a catechumen is going to be the person who is uh, has taught these things. All right. So, um, what then are, well, maybe Wade, tell me about the six chief parts and then how does the small and large catechisms vary? What, what's the difference between them? Well, just briefly, can we, um, and I apologize, I was looking something up to make sure I wasn't wrong. Um, as we talk about the origins of the catechism, that this wasn't a necessarily an explicitly Christian thing. It's not like the Christian church came up with this format. Some of the different Greek philosophical schools were using things like this, uh, um, <coughs> Socratic method would right. fall under this. Epicurus maybe? would be yeah. one that kind of, and the the term really um, catech, the catechism um, is rooted in the idea of the catechumen, who is the recipient of learning, and so a good catechism is going to be written with the catechumen, the recipient of the learning, in mind, um, because much of learning was oral, right? This emphasis on oral. Um, it's a written work, but it's not as if the words are just to be married to the page. Um, it's a written work that is meant to be spoken, often spoken back and forth. And so some of you <coughs> endured catechism class where you would have to recite memory work, for instance. Um, that is hardly anything new. It's, it has a long history within humanity. Um, you asked me now about the six chief parts. Yeah, and then, and then small yeah. and large. So earlier catechisms... Um, had broken up things in various ways. For instance, the creed, um, some would talk about it having 12 articles. Luther's going to settle on breaking it into three. So some of these things can be uh, somewhat arbitrary but not thoughtless. Um, think of the Ten Commandments. Uh, depending on your church affiliation, you may have learned the Ten Commandments differently. For instance, uh, 
the prescription on images uh, stays in for many of the reformed. Um, the numbering gets which off. Is, which results from their kind of view of the incarnation in the arts. But uh, Luther's going to break the six chief parts very intentionally, um, and he's going to kind of bring them in a way uh, that deals with how we experience the, the Christian faith. And so the first will be the Ten Commandments, and I think a lot of times people wonder why does Luther begin with the Ten Commandments, and I've heard some people almost fault him for doing so because the gospel is the main thing. But when we uh, keep these things in mind in line with Christian experience, and we remember for Lutherans what the primary use of the law is, um, that it is the theological use, the accusatory use, the mirror, um, it makes sense to start with the Ten Commandments. Now, someone who primarily thinks in terms of the third use may want to put them after the gospel, but beginning with the, the creed, which is where we'll really hear the gospel, um, the gospel makes no sense apart from the law. That does not mean that Luther approaches the, the Ten Commandments only according to the theological use. In fact, while Luther himself um, didn't come up with the, the terminology of third use, Melanchthon did, as we talked about in a previous episode, um, what we speak of as a third use, we can see there uh, in the Ten Commandments. Um, but he's going to begin with the Ten Commandments. Um, we then are going to uh, have him make his way into the creed. Um, Mike, what creed does he choose? The Apostles' Creed. And why might he choose that one? It's the baptismal creed. It's a catechetical creed. It's it's probably there's it's short. It's easy to memorize. It's the Nicene Creed would have been the Sunday Creed that we all and, and because the, they had communion regularly. And, yeah. and the Apostles' Creed was a little bit more personal. You may see it, it, so it becomes a catechetical creed. Um, you know, you have the twelve, twelve basic. Um, I don't know what you want to call them. Article not articles is too. Not, maybe not the right word. Statements. Statements or, or whatever. Yeah. And that um, uh, the tradition was that one, one each of the apostles came up with, and that's why it's called the Apostles' Creed, but we know that not to not to be true. So anyway, the Apostles' Creed, three parts, uh, easy to memorize for children. Um, yeah. Yeah, and so I think important to keep in mind, as Michael said, baptismal creed, so it's how you began your Christian life. Um Trinitarian, so we uh, we begin the di divine service in the name of Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, and he breaks it into these three Trinitarian parts, so it very much makes sense liturgically as well. Then we get to the Lord's Prayer. Um, we breathe in God's grace and forgiveness, and then we breathe out in prayer. And so it makes sense that he would then expound the Lord's Prayer and choose the Lord's Prayer, because the Lord's Prayer is not given to be our only prayer, but it was given as a model for prayer. Jesus gives it to us because his disciples ask him, Lord, teach us, <clears throat> excuse me, how to pray. Um, we then are going to get to the um, word in sacrament, right? Um, word in, not word in, the word in the sacraments, um, when, which we will then first encounter with the sacrament of initiation, how we come into the church, baptism, and then, importantly, and often overlooked, confession and absolution, which is baptismal, which is the reliving of baptism, and then finally, the sacrament of the altar, the sacrament of confirmation, so to speak. I don't mean confirmation like what happens in eighth grade, but confirming us in the faith in the sense of strengthening us, if we go to the Latin root of the word. Um, so the sacrament of the altar as the sixth chief part. Um, in many ways, you will notice um, these six parts are liturgical. They're all rooted in what the Christian would experience on any given Sunday. 
um, but they are also uh, rooted in the lived Christian experience, right? They are not remote and abstract. Um, They are something that the average layperson would encounter, and so it would make sense for them to understand so that they can grow deeper into their faith. These are also then six of the things that Luther thinks a Christian, to be a Christian in a substantive sense, should understand these six things. Um, What we've done, unfortunately, in many instances, is you ever you ever just marvel at how long we've made the small catechism sometimes? Yeah. <clears throat> um, and it's good that we have these books with explanations for, for catechism classes in parochial schools and stuff like that. Um, but at its core, right, the small catechism, it's good sometimes to just engage it as the small catechism as well, right, as a short and sweet summary, which it really is and which is what makes it so successful. I mean, and, and originally, right, to put on a, a placard that you would just have, right. like that you could see the whole thing. Right? right. A lot of times people think these were just published as little booklets, but often they were published as um, what were called broadsheets, um, which could be hung in the household, often accompanied by illustration so that those who could not read um, could still be drawn and, deeper and into the teaching. You're going to have a hymn, Luther's going to write a right. hymn on all. And so it was very... Uh, the pedagogy of it was important, right? right? There was there was some thoughtfulness going on here, yeah. So, uh, but what's this large catechism all about? It's a description of the small catechism. What's what's the large catechism? Sure. Um, if the head of the household should teach these things, um, those who teach should be well instructed. The large catechism is especially for pastors, um, but I would encourage uh, the head of the households, um, mothers or fathers and mothers, really, who will be teaching these teachings. Um, to dig into it, and it's largely uh, sermonic. It's 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 basically at its core sermons on these chief parts of the the small catechism. Uh, so it's just an expansion of these thoughts, um, especially uh, with pastors in mind. Um, I think a helpful thing for us to remember with this too is a these things are partly short because you needed to get the foundation set mm-hmm. right, but b they're also short because being a Christian at its core is centered in these things. All the other books we have on our shelves are important, right? Um, but these should be the themes that are echoed again and again in the Christian church. <clears throat> these are the core teachings out of which other things will, will flow. For instance, it's fine and good if someone wants to do a Bible series on the attributes of God. I personally would rather bang my head against the wall. Um, But what we are to know about God is really encapsulated in the Apostles' Creed, which Luther then expounds on. And I don't mean this in a Grundtvigian type of uh, um, minimalistic approach to what it is to be a Christian and to church fellowship, um, because you get, you know, Hermann Sasse is famously willing to, you know, written about when let's all come together and just agree Jesus is Lord. Mm-hmm. You end up not even being able to agree on that mm-hmm. because that, that, that statement's packed with a lot. So I don't mean it in a minimalistic way. Um, but it was also something that was to be returned to again and again. So, you know, you have the perhaps apocryphal story of Luther talking to his son and asking if he knew the catechism well, and the son says yes. <clears throat> and Luther says, that's interesting because I don't. Mm-hmm. And these are things we are to come back to Often, I would say with the small catechism too, you know, coming out of Roman Catholicism, 
Um, something I, I still kind of envy about Roman Catholicism is the rosary. Um, and not because I'm, I'm longing to say Hail Marys, but sometimes it's hard to pray, and sometimes it's really nice to have a focused way. Sorry, I had to have water. <clears throat> a focused way to read or to work through themes and concepts, right? Um, it can focus your mind. Uh, well, you know what is, is even better than the rosary is to pray through the small catechism. Yeah, that's it's definitely ask, prayable. Is, what, do you, what do you mean by praying? We hear that all the time. What do you mean praying through the catechism? Sure. Well, there's the, obviously the words on the page. Um, but then to take a break after each and see how those words apply in your lives and then make a, which is really what we, what Jesus intended us to do with the Lord's Prayer, by the way. Right. Um, Thy will be done. Well, Jesus gives us that, but, but with the intention that we then say, what are the areas in my life that God's will is possibly being done? How am I maybe thwarting it? Um, maybe I'm going through suffering, right? And I remember Jesus himself prayed this in the garden. Uh, Deliver us from evil. What are the evils that I am facing? These petitions all open up uh, the possibility of introspection and, and just contemplation of one's individual life. So what you're saying, and I think uh, uh, I would agree, is that part of prayer life is a certain amount of meditation. Right. Right. Um, we can we rightfully separate those two, um, but it, it's not... <clears throat> let me race through these words kind of thing, which is the danger of the rosary, of the rosary. But the rosary also is a, and by the way, rosary is not Rome, Roman. There's, there's prayer beads in every religion, right? right? This is, this is one for of you, those, the Jesus prayer in, in Eastern Orthodoxy, for instance, you'll, that, you'll have prayer rope. So that'll be an important part of yeah. it. I will say though, with the rosary too, even Roman Catholics recognize the danger of this. So there's the mysteries you're supposed to contemplate. Yeah. Yeah. So but they're Marian mysteries that don't fit well. With these them. sort of, we might call them today spiritual disciplines, right? Mm -hmm. um, prayer and fasting, these kinds of things are very, very, very helpful, right? So, um, and they give you a certain kind of discipline, but they're for your benefit, not so that you can show off, of course. And, and Jesus is, indicates this when he says, don't pray like the person on the street corner kind of thing. So praying the catechism is helpful, right? It's a place to start. Praying the Psalms is another way to do that, to stop and to think. And so it's not, it's not about a lot of words, right? Or even a lot about a, a lot of time necessarily, but uh, the idea of being purposeful maybe with, with the words and having some time to think about what these words mean. And you don't get that unless you understand that prayer is for you. It's a gift for you right. and not the other way around. Well, so, and yeah. this can... Um this can make catechism class kind of stale too. If the pastor's primary encounter with the catechism anymore is simply teaching it in class, um, which it often was for me, so oh. I will be the first to admit, um, my teaching was much more stale than if I was actually praying through the catechism on my own time too. Thinking about these things, yeah. Speaking of, of teaching that, I, I, I am one of those guys who was on the, on the fence about what should I teach first. Um, I would teach the te the Ten Commandments first for the reasons that you that you said. I got frustrated though because by the end of, by springtime, that's when the kids didn't learn much at all anymore. Yeah. And boy, they had the Ten Commandments down, but they didn't have some other things down as well as they wanted to. The other thing was, by the time you get through the Ten Commandments, boy, you know, 
I like to talk about Jesus. And so what I do, and I think a lot of guys do this too, is, you know, lesson one is, okay, this is what a catechism is. Here's the story of Martin Luther. This is what we're going to do. And lesson two is law, gospel, justification, sanctification. Right. Then you'll get into the catechism. Um, so, And even as you teach the commandments, um, Jesus has kept darn he near does, all of them, right. I heard. And there's plenty of ways to bring right. Christ into. So it's just nice to have the w terminology of justification, sanctification at the ready I agree. before you teach. Uh, right. So that's how I, I finally. A bit of a prolegomena. Yeah. So, uh, and I'm not a big fan of those, but um, I think you have to have Yeah, that. but I think a, have to have I think a catechism prologoma and law and gospel right. is a good thing. I just don't want like a hundred pages of, you know. No, and dogmatics, yeah, that's painful. Yeah, so anyway. Um, but there are people who really love those. Like yeah. That that's the be all end all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're important. I'm not going to, yeah. But, uh, uh, so catech catechesis just in general, I mean, any insights on. I was going to make a, a joke that I think is a pretty good one, but it. It's an adult joke, and I, people might be listening in the car, so I'm not going to do it. Okay, and Abigail's to be, be the one that... <laughs> I think Abigail would like You've the already joke. offended her with your, you know... I didn't offend her. Stuff, so. Are you talking about my drinking advice? <laughs> your drinking... Uh, well, <laughs> never mind. Um, catechesis... Um, I, I just try to mentor Michael. That's right. Uh, I don't know. Michael's always telling me to stay away from his kids, and it's kind of offensive. <laughs> No, I, you can, I've been encouraging my daughters to come here and take all of their theology classes with you. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm against underage drinking. Yeah. Just, in case anybody was thinking that was what it was. <laughs> Although it kind of was that, but it was a joke. Yeah, it was a joke. It was a joke. Catechesis before Luther and after Luther. I mean, got any insights there? Like what is a... Uh, Sure. Or, or maybe even like, l let me ask you this question as being catechized as a, as a Roman Catholic and then as a Lutheran, having a unique perspective, what was the content like? What was the content difference? What was, uh, the different emphases, that kind of stuff? Sure. I would say, um, cause just I, way, way Roman more, Catholics have a catechism. There is a reform catechism. There is a Lutheran sure. catechism. I would say it was just way more doctrinal. There, there was definitely, um, doctrine in, uh, um, you know, CCD and stuff like that, but uh, clearly an emphasis on service. And, and I do think um, we could talk vocation and service maybe more in our um, catechesis classes, uh, but just definitely way more doctrinal. Um, and then obviously just the law and gospel distinction that you're asked to make um, stands out. I would, I would also say much more Christological. Uh, but <clears throat> to get Cle at what you would you say it was clearer in the Lutheran setting, simpler and clearer, or uh, yeah, I would I would say um, I actually think we read more scripture in the in the Catholic setting, um, but that was because we you really were to be familiar with the Gospels, mm -hmm. right? So we, but uh, that's not to say we tend to do Bible history in our schools as well, mm -hmm. and and I try to incorporate that. Um, I do think there's a danger if our kids' primary connection. I really think a good catechism class needs to have um, biblical narratives mm -hmm. and and pick a gospel or pick something and read through the whole thing because I would say that's a weakness I encountered was uh, if you're just encountering proof passages. Mm -hmm. it, it Not only are you not getting something in its whole context, but it also really colors how you use the scriptures. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so I'm, I'm a it's little... It's an answer booklet. Right, yeah. yeah. Uh, but to get it, it's something else that you brought up. First, I would say... Um, it's his catechism and hymns that really set the Reformation up to last. Um, and his opponents said as much quite frequently. In fact, he was compared to 
Arius from the earlier church, early church with the Arian heresy because the Arians had written a number of hymns. Um, and so it's, it's the catechism and, catechisms and the hymns that endure in people's hearts. And, and you, you find this among the laity for quite some time in Lutheran churches uh, that they studied and knew the catechism well. They treasured it. I, I think it's been largely lost, um, especially as it was exported out of the home and into the parish. Um, unfortunately, you know, the home altar thing is maybe a, a thing of days gone by for, for many. Um, that'd be a good episode to do sometime yeah. about devotional practice at home. But, but that in his hymns and the fact that his hymns were catechetical, that they worked hand in hand. And this is something I am excited about. I think more and more of the resources we have coming out from our um, publishing house, that connection between liturgy, hymn, catechesis, mm-hmm. um, that they're that they're not divorced from each other, um, but that they're mutually um, reinforced. This is this is why, for instance, I'm not a big fan of confirmation, and not all Lutherans wanted to retain confirmation after the Reformation, and that someone gets lost, um, <clears throat> because, and I really don't like the the examination no. before confirmation. Yeah, we we are on the same page. And I'm not saying anyone's sinning if they do it, um, but when I came in, I thought that was the weirdest thing ever, right. and. Uh, I just feel bad for the kids if I go to these. I didn't do them in my parish. Um, the, uh, in many ways, they're kind of a byproduct of rationalism. And there are, it's like modernity getting its nose in our tent. Or, um, or the idea of the, the, the pastor examining to make sure that the parents did their job. Now it's the parents making sure that the pastor, pastor did, did his, yeah. his job, um, I suppose, you know. Right. <laughs> But uh, yeah, we we've talked about that before. But that's not so. If, yeah. if your church is doing the exam, that's not. I'm not. It's fine. We're not attacking. Yeah. Um, but uh, but the, I think a growing appreciation for <clears throat> teaching the faith in the context of how we experience the faith, a more formative, uh, um, uh, all-encompassing approach, Let's which talk- requires though that there is a common liturgy and. Right. common hymns that people are experiencing, which is why I think both of us advocate for just that, if possible. Um, let's talk about Table of Duties, the marriage booklet, the baptismal booklet, booklet and the brief... Um, well, we, and let's talk about the preface, too, but also the brief exhortation to confession. Not, not uh, some of the original... There, there's a debate on what should be in. I think most everybody agrees that the preface and the Table of Duties should be in. What about the sign of the cross? We took uh, that out for a while. Yeah. Uh, this, well, I think most historians would put that back in. That was a later thing. But very early on, the baptismal and marriage booklets, I'm not sure about the exhortation and confession, it was debated whether they should be in or out. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I get the impulse, don't, don't keep adding things, right? You keep adding things, this is going to be a problem. And the marriage booklet and the baptismal booklet are a little bit, uh, they don't fit the pattern. And I think there was a worry of both of these had very uh, liturgical type implications. Like this would be a good liturgy for for a baptismal rite or for a marriage rite, and they didn't want to they didn't want to put that in there, right? It, that's not that's not the right place. I like them. I use both of those rites. Um, uh, most of our uh, versions are at least going to have them as an addendum, if not you know part of the actual. Um, catechism. So I think a Lutheran pastor can't ignore them, but there was some date very early on, right, um, about whether they are in or out. We did a whole, I think, two or three episodes on the baptismal rite. 
uh, probably two years ago already, if you're interested in that. We never did one on the on the marriage right, um, which would be maybe an uh, interesting one some, at some well, point. Well, and I think if we do one on that, we could connect it to Luther's on the state of marriage, which is just yeah. great. And I used in premar premarital counseling with people, I used the, I believe it was the third part. So uh, good stuff there. The table of duties we should talk about, because you mentioned, you know, what we should talk about vocation. Well, it is there, right, in the table of duties. Right. And Luther has a little jab at the monastic system in his uh, subtitle of the table of duties when he talks about holy orders. If you're talking about holy orders, you think about getting your marching orders from God. I'm going to become a nun. I'm going to become a monk. I'm going to become well, a this priest. Is, this is... Um, you mentioned uh, about growing up Roman Catholic and how we experienced catechism. <clears throat> Excuse me. If I heard the word vocations yep, you were at St. Robert's, I did not think at all what we think. I did not think of anything that applied to me unless I became a priest or, right. or monk or none was off the table for me. Um, <clears throat> but vocations meant holy orders. Now, to be fair, in Roman Catholicism that has shifted somewhat. There's And maybe even through... Um, cross-fertilization with Protestantism. So, yeah. um, but Luther is really flipping things on their yeah. head with this. So we might not appreciate what a big thing the Table of Duties is doing, um, but it is. Vocations in the past were very limited. In fact, um, you were either spirituales, clerical class, or monk or nun, friar, um, or just laity. Yep. And there was a, a, a measure of holiness that was just not available to you then. Uh, sorry, didn't interrupt. Right, so you, the second plank, right? You're right. going and uh, taking these vows and getting your holy order. So I thought the second plank was confession. What's the about being the monk though? The second baptism. Oh yeah. Why am I? I think they the use that language plank? sometimes. Taking the hood. Yeah. So uh, excuse me for being unclear there, but the idea. You of might be right too. I just I'm thinking second plank is the. Baptism, but then yeah. baptism washes away your sin, but then you got to keep right. it clean with confession. We'll come back to that. We'll have to do some research. Um, but vocation, the word vocation, the words holy orders were reserved for that. And so for the table of duties, encouragement of being um, an employer, an employee, um, a child, a parent, he says, here are your holy orders. And that's just, a, he doesn't have to put that in there. That's just a little jab there. So it's kind of neat to see that. I like his preface. The preface talks about how uh, the preacher, uh, the teacher should be teaching these things, specifically Holy Communion, so that people bang at the door and demand this, right? right. I've always thought about this. The, the language may not be right, but maybe an episode once would be um, uh, the, the Worshipper's Bill of Rights. You know, what does, what does the parishioner have a right to? And what yeah. he, does he or she not have a right to? What she, ought they expect? Yeah, she, 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 he or she does not have the right to have a preacher who is dynamic. But he or she has the right. I, right may not be the, right, the correct word. But uh, he or Baseline she has the right to use of the sacraments, right? Um, that kind of stuff. And so Luther in his preface is saying, you should be teaching this so people are banging down the door demanding the, the gospel. And, and if the preacher is not being gospel-oriented, his parishioners are going to act in a certain way. They're not going to care about that, at least over time. And I think we see this in the American church. We've kind of talked offline about this. That, um, you know, is the, is the American church, especially the conservative church right now, it seems, is it really about the gospel or is it about something else? I, I, the, we may know that it's about the gospel or we may even say that, 
Um, but from the outside looking in, boy, it doesn't seem that it is. And uh, where does that come from? Well, I think there is a lack of pastoral guidance there over decades, perhaps, um, assuming the gospel um, and not and preaching about the gospel rather than giving the gospel, putting the, the means of grace on the back burner, that kind of stuff. And so I think the preface of the catechism, um, if I would go back at the beginning of every catechism year, I would reread that as a, as a preacher and say, what am I doing here? What is the purpose of this? And kind of as a, a quite frankly, or quite literally a preface to the school year of catechism. Well, and I think something else that comes out of that too, that maybe we as Americans have um, lost some of the strength of our heritage with is um, what Luther is doing with the catechism. And I would go back to, especially again, with the uh, table of duties as well, is refusing to compartmentalize the Christian life, right? There's the liturgy that takes place in church, the divine service. Um, and here, Luther's picking up on something in Paul. When Paul uses liturgy or litur liturgical language, he also uses it in a vocational fashion. Mm -hmm. um, there is not a time when what we are doing is not spiritual. For instance, Paul says, if you eat or drink, do it to the glory of God. So um, I'm doing a good work when I eat lunch with Michael, which we should do sometime, Mike. But, uh, and neither of us eat lunch. Right. But um, <laughs> but he is imbuing um, the mundane with the spiritual. Uh, and I would say, in keeping with the theme of the podcast, he is also recognizing um, that justification leads to a neighbor focus now that we are turned outside of ourselves. So the large catechism, for instance, in the Ten Commandments is extremely vocational, right? Um, here is where these things are, are lived and experienced in the, the Christian life. And so the other works you've talked about, especially, for instance, the works on, on marriage, flow out of that, right? And not in a canon law sort of mm -hmm. way, but in a way that, that, um, that sets our eyes um, on the meaning that lies behind even the most mundane acts like changing a diaper um, in, the, in the Christian life. And so I think that's of value too because what was Luther often accused of was devaluing good works. It's very difficult to read the catechisms and think Luther devalues Christian works. Rather, he locates them within their proper sphere and um, orients them towards their, their proper object. Yeah, the sacrifice of the Mass um, is not, as John Pless, I think, said, not eliminated, just put out in the world right. for neighbor rather than for, for, for people. And that's uh, Romans chapter 12 language. So, no, that was good. So uh, the historical context, small and large catechism, there was a need for it, right? And uh, a need for people to learn the very basics of Christianity, but then also the large cate catechism, a need for the parish priests, um, the teachers, the parents um, to have, let's say, a, um, a teacher's guide right? Uh, but it's more of, as you said, sermonic in uh, just kind of a meditation on the small catechisms, so to speak. Um, we add the table of duties, the preface, and the exhortation to, uh, brief ex exhortation to confession, and the marriage booklet, and the baptismal booklet, and that wraps up uh, the small and large catechisms for us. 
um, something to pray, something to think about, uh, a guide for life, right? To keep us focused. Uh, they are uh, one of the great gifts of the Lutheran Church that has been handed down through generation to generation. So with that, we hope that you will continue in our Winging It series here on Luther. Probably our next episode will uh, be about uh, Johannes Bugenhagen, who is a part of these visitations. Or we'll keep putting it off because that one's going to take some research. That, that, yeah, we'll see. But we're, we're getting out a couple here, trying to get back on track. And maybe someday, maybe someday um, we will finish this series. Uh, we shouldn't place a bet right now. What? Uh, how many? How many sessions? I'll give you the. I'll give you your language. Ninety. When we're all said and done, ninety-five. Like, should we try to get to ninety-five? And we'll see. I think we'll do it in fits and spurts. What's your? What do you think? Um, I don't think we'll get to ninety-five, but that's a good number. It's a good Luther number, so maybe we should try that. Yeah. We have talked about how we would like to not just end with his death, but talk about okay, what were the concerns right after his death? I think we'd probably get to fifteen eighty. You know, um, not not. Uh, not uh, making sure, not getting too lost in the details of the 50s, 60s, 70s, but trying to get to uh, Martin Chemnitz and the uh, formula of Concord, I think would probably be a decent uh, ending point. So maybe we will get to 95. So are we to 50 yet? I don't even know. I think we're getting in the 40s. We're still in the 40s, halfway there, Mary. So uh, until next time, we hope you'll continue and we hope that you will let the bird fly. I don't care what